0: I um I'm let to talk about this uh, this portion in scripture from the book of Jonah uh, titled today's talk drawing near to god uh, an exposition from Jonah chapter 3 most of us all most of us know the story of Jonah it's all of four chapters in the old testament he's a minor prophet but uh, if you're here and you've never heard about Jonah before very quickly, just to give, uh, before, all that happens before chapter 3 is that uh, God has grace and love for a nation, uh, the city of Nineveh, okay, they are the Assyrians, they the city of Nineveh, they are rivals, of they are Israel's rivals and Jonah, although being a prophet in Israel, God calls him to go and share the love and grace of God. To, to a rival nation, and he's not very—he's just not happy about it. And um, and he, and even though Jonah's angry, God is consistently want to, you know, want to showing, want to show love and want to show grace. Uh, so the story goes, he he disobeys. Just give me—he he disobeys. He um, instead of going to Nineveh, he goes to Tarshish. That's 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 north and south. And uh, in the boat. He's thrown into a storm. He's thrown into the sea. A big whale, a big fish gets him and uh, he makes a special prayer from inside the belly of the fish and uh, God miraculously allows the fish to vomit Jonah out onto the coast. And here he is in chapter three, the call of God again comes to him the second time. And he's got this call, although he's bitter and angry and stubborn, we realize that God is relentlessly non-stop. He's pursuing Jonah, and he's pursuing Jonah to speak God's message of grace and love to the people of Nineveh. Okay, but what's the goal for today? What's the goal for this evening? is to see that God is repeatedly pushing Jonah back into the most difficult area of his life. It's the one thing he doesn't want to do. He would probably host a hundred mission conferences in Israel. My guess is he would go to any other nation. He just doesn't want to go and speak to the Assyrians. And God is repeatedly pushing Jonah back into the most difficult area. It's an area that he is struggling to obey God. It's an area that he is failing to honor God. And God is pushing him there repeatedly. Now, while we're going to be exposing Jonah chapter 3, it's also important to know that this is true of our lives as well. You and I, none of us would deny this, isn't it? You and I are often pushed into the difficult areas of our lives. Relationship work situation, uh, our relation with our colleagues, spouses, parenting, difficult people in our lives, important life decisions. We're often pushed into these difficult areas of our lives. and, And these are often areas, like Jonah, even we struggle to honor and obey God. And my goal today is to realize, why does God do all of this? Why is God doing this? Why is he, why does he allow these difficult seasons to persist in our lives? And friends, this is the goal I really have. He's doing this out of love. And I really hope to un- unpack that for us this evening. He's teaching you and me, just like he's teaching Jonah about our hearts and drawing Jonah nearer to himself. The big goal I have for today is this, that you and I would understand that God is drawing us near to him in the midst of the most difficult season of our life. And at the end of 35 minutes, probably 40 minutes, if if I've not got this out clearly, I think I failed in my objective. The objective for today is this, that you and I would understand that in the most difficult seasons of our life, God is drawing us near to him. I'd like to open this time for one volunteer. If you could just read out the Bible passage for today. I, I'm sorry, I don't have it over there. It's John chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. John chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Could somebody volunteer? I'm sorry, Ninad, I should have told this to you earlier.
1: Uh, John chapter 3 was 1 to 10. There was a man named Nicodemus.
0: No, no, no. no Jonah. Jonah. Jonah chapter 3 verses 1 to 10. Sorry. Was I saying John till now? Please forgive me. I meant Jonah.
1: Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray honestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened.
0: Thank you, Vipin. I appreciate that. Let's just pray as we start. Holy Spirit, we ask you that you would open our hearts to understanding insights that we have not understood before. For many of us, if this story is familiar, if the scenes and the verses are familiar, help us to realize that we can read it and understand it afresh this evening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we know that Jonah has sinfully... in. In chapter 1, he sinfully ran away from his calling. Being a prophet of the Lord, he ran away from his calling. But the Lord does not simply write him off and condemn him to the fate that he actually deserves. In reality, we see God graciously offers Jonah another opportunity to do what he was told to do in the first place. And this is very important because historically, prophets were not known to be written off. Right. And so when they sinfully do not conduct, uh, you know, their lifestyle, it was, it was, it's a, it's grace, it's God's grace that was offered to Jonah, another opportunity to do what he was supposed to be doing in the first place. This is very important uh, part of the teaching because we realize that God is a gracious and merciful God who is dealing with Jonah far more patiently than he actually deserves. And he also deals with you and me far more patiently than we really deserve. What's Jonah's response to the Ninevites the second time? He is a, he is still reluctant in many ways. And I'll tell you why. How do we know that? Observe a few interesting things that he doesn't. He doesn't tell the Ninevites anything about the Lord's love, anything about the Lord's grace, he, uh, his experience with the sailors, his experience with the storm. In fact, in the Hebrew text, all that he says is five Hebrew words. Repent uh, for judgment is coming. He does not even mention the Lord's name in his in his poorly crafted sermon to the Ninevites. He does not even mention the Lord's name. Nothing about the love of the Lord. Nothing about God's grace. Nothing about God's mercy. Nothing about redemption. Nothing about joy. None of that. He doesn't say a word about his recent experience of deliverance. He was in the he was in the belly of the fish. It wasn't common then. It was, it is in common now. He doesn't speak anything of that. After all, after all, the grace that the Lord has shown Jonah in delivering from in deliver in delivering him, and giving him another opportunity, there doesn't seem to be a real change in Jonah's heart. We know this implicitly in chapter three, but we know it explicitly in chapter four because he's still upset with the Ninevites. So instead, what he really says, his message to the Ninevites when the Lord calls him the second time is, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The way in which he he does it reveals the hardness of his heart. It's often the same with us. It gives me the impression, as I was preparing, that his reluctance and the hardness of his heart towards the Ninevites just let him satisfied to be, I've done my duty. This is what God asked for me. This is what I, That's all he asked for me and that's all I'm doing. He's not really caring whether he's presented God's message in the best possible way, sharing the love of God for sinful people. There's no evidence of him sharing grace. None of that. He continues to be reluctant. Again, I'm saying it's implicit in, in chapter 3, but very clear and evident in chapter 4. Now, it should astound us that the word of the Lord even came to Jonah a second time. Jonah doesn't deserve a second chance. And quite frankly, he didn't even want a second chance. But the Lord calls him to go to Nineveh once again. And this shows God's mercy to all those who fail in sin, which differs from how you and I typically respond to people who let us down. How do you and I typically respond to people who let us down? So if we are a business owner and we have employees and if they have typically responded to us in a way that's let us down in their work we fire them if they are if they are our family members and if they have let us down we yell at them we scream at them we hold this kind of revenge against them if they are our friends if they are classmates if they are teammates and if they have let us down how do we respond We withdraw in silence. We withdraw in the cold wars. We store up this incident and we use it against the offender, you know, in a time in the future. And it's important for us to realize that that's not how God is. God is not like one of us. He is offering a second chance. But we must also realize this second chance that god is offering to jonah is not an absolute principle in the way god deals with men uh uh, with men of god in the bible there are times when there are when there were no second chances given to the servants of god do you remember for example when 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 the uh when david commits adultery with bathsheba and a son is born to uh you know to to them the son gets sick. The child gets sick. David fasts. He prays. He moans. He moans his sin in an effort to see that God would heal his, heal the boy. But the child dies. David doesn't get a second chance over there. David simply receives this outcome as as God's judgment. Or you remember that time in uh, when Jesus interacts, has an encounter with the rich young ruler. This rich young ruler did a lot of righteous things. This rich young ruler, in fact, was very keen to learn more about eternity. He realizes his limitations. He invi- Jesus invites him to be a follower. He says, come and follow me. It was the offer of a lifetime. But the ruler turns down the offer. He walks away. Jesus doesn't go after him, begging him to follow him to come back. The second chance wasn't given to the rich young ruler. Moses, the leader of the Exodus through whom God delivered people from Egypt, to whom the law was given. In the New Testament, in fact, Moses is listed as one who had exemplary faith. Yet Moses, for all his blessings, was not given the chance to enter the promised land because of his actions. Now, equally, there are several examples of how God, in fact, shows second chances to many people like like Jonah, we read of how God showed a second chance to Peter or, or to Joseph's family in the Old Testament. We're not going to go into, into detail. The point I'm trying to make is it's not theologically sound to make uh, an explicit principle that God always gives uh, second chances. But we also cannot deny that there's this question in our hearts that we need to know we want to know why does the lord allow a second chance to jonah was it only for the sake of nineveh that god allows a second chance to noah uh, to jonah if it was for the sake of nineveh only then god could have worked with anybody else and disregarded jonah after jonah's horrendous behavior god could have chosen somebody else if it was if it was only for nineveh Friends, we need to ask, why does the Lord allow a second chance over here? Only to realize it's actually deliberate. The Lord is once again deliberately confronting Jonah with his worst nightmare. The Lord is calling Jonah to obey him in the most Difficult area of his life. He is faithfully pursuing the heart of Jonah. And in doing so the Lord brings him back. Precisely to the same situation. To the same circumstance. Where he failed before. I'd like you to step back. And ask yourselves. Have you ever felt the Lord doing that with your life? You have an area of sin or struggle, an area where it's where it's where it's it, it's getting really difficult for you to honor and obey the Lord. And instead of the Lord safely steering you away from that temptation or safely steering you away from that from that struggle, he's pushing you right back into that area. And a few weeks back, as I was interacting with, you know, with friends in Newbridge, I was pretty open and transparent, and I told them this. I told them that's how I feel about church planting and church pastoring. There are many things I love about Newbridge. There are many things. The opportunity to be involved with so many young working professionals, the chances we get to be, you know, doing a fair bit of mission work, a fair bit of social work, and all that Ninat so kindly spoke about. But there's more, there are these days where I feel so gloomy and tired of being a church leader. There are moments of you know of trying to solve people's problems, which is really beyond my ability. Times when I've got to correct people, difficult conversations, disputes about theology, with close friends in you know in Newbridge. It gets even more difficult when members begin to compare Newbridge with other churches in the city, other churches in the country. Okay. Look at that smile that Ninad, that Ninad is having in his face right now. It's a very special smile. <laughs> and all of these. And all of these, especially in this COVID season, really, all of this and more exposes my own weakness, my own limitations, my own sinfulness. My heart and my true desire is that God would safely and easily get me out of this difficult situation. There are a few times he's done it in the past, but yet time and again, I find myself driven by the Lord back into addressing another problem in the church, which is beyond my ability. And the result is it just usually it just gets more and more messy. It's more and more sinfulness on my part. And I'm sure if I have had it, you have had it in your life. You've had those times where similar experiences, probably in family or marriage, or parenting or finances, overworking, nervous breakdowns in office. And have you ever have you ever wondered? Okay, why does God do that with us? Why, why does God allow it? Why does God permit this to happen? In Jonah's story, however, it's not, God is not just allowing it. We read so clearly He's causing it. The storm, the boat, the big fish, the fact that the sailors and the Ninevites were so receptive to him. God was in all of this. And why is he sending Jonah back into that one area which is exposing Jonah's sinfulness? why does he send you and me right back into that area which exposes our sinfulness personally i would be very happy for the lord to instantly make me a better person and a better pastor so i'm, I'm able to love people uh, you know all the time and people are able to love me all the time but he doesn't appear to choose this option friends it's in, in these difficult areas, we need to realize in pushing us to difficult areas, God is not merely testing Jonah's obedience. He probably is, but he's, but he's doing something beyond that. He's doing something beyond that. So what is God doing in all of this? Especially for Jonah, what is God doing in all of this? In as much as God is working through Jonah for the people of Nineveh, we must not miss this out god is actually also working in jonah god is also working in jonah how does god work through jonah god delights in working not merely with you know with weak, with weak people but really broken damaged and seriously deformed people think of moses think of peter think of gideon david abraham samson these were people who were broken in their own respect In that way, even through Jonah, it becomes evident that what God is doing through these people, through weak, broken, messed up people, that his work is his, not ours. When God uses you and me in spite of our terrible attitude, in spite of our horrendous imperfection, in spite of our uncaring selfishness, uncaring selfishness, you and I have nothing else to say except that salvation is of the lord it's not of man it's not of us but here's another thing god is working in jonah we are not jonah is not merely a tool that god is using to achieve his objectives and goals jonah himself is someone whom god is deeply passionately and busy working in and you and i are no different The Lord is bringing us into areas that expose our weakness, that expose our brokenness, that expose our foul sin to show us that wickedness still remains in our hearts. But remember, God was not just saving Nineveh. Friends, God was also saving Jonah. It's exposing Jonah's heart. If you read chapter 2, you realize that when when Jonah was in the belly of the fish, he makes this this phenomenal, theologically correct prayer. He seemed so close to God when he was crying out to God from inside of the fish. That closeness seems to be missing in chapter 3. Jonah in chapter 2 is saying, that he is seeking the God's help in times of distress. But there's no evidence that he is seeking the Lord's help when it comes to serving and obeying the Lord on, on the mission field. The impression of his reluctance is, I've done my duty, don't ask me for anything else, God. And in doing so, I'd like to ask you and me, aren't you and I the same? Aren't we the same? Our lack of love for others is exposed in the careless way in how we fulfill our mandate many times, very often. Sometimes it's like I've done my duty, I've spoken the truth, I've come to church, I've read my Bible, I've paid my tithes, I've done my Bible study, it's a, I've, I've attended the fasting and pray. Don't ask more. Uncaring whether people, uncaring whether we've been presented in the best possible way to communicate God's undying love for sinful people. And as I begin to wrap up this evening's talk in the next seven to 10 minutes, it's important for you and me to introspect and realize that when life is easy, most of this inner corruption remains hidden. It's hidden from us. It's hidden from people. But in times where God pushes us to the most difficult areas of our lives, that's when we begin to learn something about our hearts. And I'd like to remind you, God is not just saving others. God is not just saving the world around zealous community in the city of Pune. Friends, God is saving you and me individually as well. The same God who is at work through us for our city is the same God who is at work in our hearts, in us. The gospel message is precious To both the Christian and the potential Christian. That salvation, the process includes sanctification. It involves teaching you and me about our own hearts. If God has called you and he's chosen you, he will not give up on you. Just like he's deliberately, relentlessly, non-stop, he's pursuing Jonah... Even after Jonah speaks the message and, 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 and Nineveh surrenders and submits to the will of God, that's a beautiful way of actually ending the book of Jonah. Jonah, chapter, Jonah could have ended in chapter 3. Jonah finally fulfills his mission. Nineveh comes in repentance That's a lovely way to end chapter 3. But chapter 4, you see, God continues to have a conversation with Jonah. He is is still pursuing Jonah's heart. It was never only about Nineveh for God. It was much more. God was doing so much more. Friends, and it's a reminder. It's a a vivid, striking reminder that God is at work in us and will complete that great work. And as I close, I want to remind us of something. I want to remind us of the cry question that Jesus makes on the cross. We just went through Good Friday, Easter weekend. This is probably fresh in your minds. In the Gospels, the cry question of God, of Jesus on the cross was this. My God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? And I want to, my closing thoughts for this evening is, is this. How can this cry question of Jesus on the cross help you and me when we feel far from God, when we feel forsaken, when we feel distant and abandoned from God? How can this cry question Make sense to us. Why is this c- cry question of Jesus on the cross relevant to us? None of us will deny that we often feel forsaken and we often feel that we are in the dark. We often feel distant and abandoned from God. God seems absent. None of our prayers are being answered. But it's a reminder. This is the Reminder all these feelings of feeling distant and forsaken and prayers being unanswered and 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 being feeling that we're in the dark it's only apparent it only feels like we're in the dark it only feels like we're abandoned we're not truly abandoned we're not truly forsaken why do we know that scripture reveals to us i will never leave you i will never forsake you matthew tells us i will be with you to the end of the age but We feel abandoned, we feel forsaken, and we feel distant. Not because God has truly abandoned us. It's only because God is not giving us what we want in that time. He's not working the way we'd like him to work. But now look at Jesus on the cross. Look at Jesus on the cross. Jesus was truly in the dark. Jesus was truly forsaken by... He was truly abandoned by God. He didn't feel forsaken. The father truly turned his back on Jesus. The text says in the Gospels in the New Testament, the father turned his face away. Jesus was truly in the dark. He was truly forsaken. And here's the gospel truth and redemptive message for us, friends. Because Jesus was truly forsaken and because Jesus was truly abandoned, you and I will never have to truly be forsaken and you and I will never have to truly be abandoned. But how do we know that is true? How do we know this is true? We know it's true because Jesus bore that abandonment on the cross. We know it's true because Jesus took the actual and real rejection for us on the cross. And so now, how does this cry question help us when we feel far away from God? Because we know that Jesus truly took the rejection and the pain of abandonment and the pain of being forsaken by God the Father himself, having having the face of God the Father turned away from him, because we know that is true. We know that we can turn to Jesus. And when we turn to Jesus, he will truly understand. The gospel truth is this. The gospel truth is this, friends. Jesus endured what we endured at a far more profound level. When you and I go through difficult times, we know that God will not really abandon us. And this is how we are able to disciple our own hearts and dialogue with our own souls of drawing near to God. We're so glad you've been listening in. If you'd like to know more about us, follow us on Insta at zealouspune or visit us online at zealous.community.